0: A lot of Ming Chi Kuo stuff this week. Starting out with the iPhone SE four, something we all deeply care about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting
1: uh, to upgrade my iPhone fourteen. You know, and
0: I'm waiting to upgrade my iPhone SE three. <laughs> <laughs> Is that does that I'm... exist? I guess it does because there was the there was the the iPhone five shaped phone. Yeah. and the iPhone eight shaped. Phone. And then there was a second-generation iPhone 8. With iPhone 5G. Added 5G, yeah. Yeah.
1: The revolution upon itself.
0: Well, it turns out the SE4 that Quo's been talking about is really just an engineering test model for Apple modems. Is that right? Yeah, well, that's
1: what he says now. So back in February, uh, Quo had said that development on the iPhone SE4 had resumed and it would look basically look like the 6.1-inch iPhone 14, but, you know, modified to be slightly cheaper and whatnot. But it would crucially have the super modern design, right? You know, with a, with a notch and a full-screen look and everything, um, which we've kind of been anticipating for several years at this point, point, they just haven't done it. Um, And now it might not be happening again because basically Quo says that what he th- saw in February in terms of product development uh, looked like an iPhone SE4 in terms of specification, but with a bit more analysis and a bit more investigation, he's found that it's not actually meant to be a destined for mass production, they're only making a few units, so he's walking back what he said before and basically saying what he saw in February is actually just a um, prototype hardware that will be testing Apple's in house 5G modem that they've also been working for a while. And we expect might show up in iPhones starting in like 2025. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, they have to make you know test models and stuff. And for whatever reason, he confused uh, the, the supply chain indicators that he thought, Oh, this is the AC4. Um, but then it turns out, no, it's not actually meant for mass production. They're only making a few of them. It's for 5G modem, modem uh, testing. Mm. So if you were if you were on tender hooks for an iPhone SE4, uh, don't be.
0: <laughs> Se- seemed like, you know, whenever we believed, based on Quo's you know, reporting, that SE4 um, would be like an iPhone 11 shape, basically. Mm. It would be a, a big up from iPhone 8 shape. Yeah, and those then- rumors were originally for
1: the SE3. Yeah, that's true that didn't happen
0: yeah but it seemed like then at the time that that's a pretty good phone to try out apple modems that might not you know you really just want to give them a shot before you put them in your flagship pretty big change
1: Um, right yeah so even if it wasn't like a a test more lonely if you're going to start in certain lines in the lineup start with the less risky ones like an se right um and that's why i've said before in this show i think there's a good possibility they might start with the ipad as well right like they can do Mm -hmm. because they can even do um split production so you can have like half of the ipads made with the apple modem and half made with um the existing qualcomm ones and sure. you know that's what they did for a while when it was intel and qualcomm you know basically battling for orders and apple wanted to go intel exclusively but they you know didn't quite get there in the way they wanted for 5g but for 4g there was a tussle and a back and forth where you know you'd have models of iphone where people would report slightly better performance because they happened to get the one with the qualcomm chip and inf- the qualcomm chip inside rather than the intel chip so mm-hmm. you know not all these parts have to be 100 provided by the exact same thing and if you want to gradually work your way up to having a you know apple slide mo- apple apple uh, apple designed apple custom modem in your flagship iphone series that is the, you know the flagship series that sells millions of units a week you want to start on a smaller product line that are less risky A, because they're just making less of them. So, you know, yield and production issues are less problematic. They're they're not going to be much of a bottleneck. And two, if it really goes bad, you can just, you know, replace, substitute a different supplier and just, you know, quietly um, replace the models with the Apple modem. If you try and do that with an iPhone straight out of the gate, like a flagship iPhone, you've got tens of millions of devices that might potentially have to be recalled if something really, really bad happened. So yeah, like a future SE candidate would be a good example of that too. Um maybe a Mac as well, like if we ever get around having Cellular Macs before, uh, I don't think the timeline is gonna quite work out in terms of when cellular Macs are you know in development versus when the iPhone's when the i the modem's gonna be ready. So that's not an option. But you can imagine if it was, they would bring it they'd start it in the in the Macs or start it in the iPad first before launching it on the iPhone. And that's still a very real possibility. Mm-hmm. As it stands right now, work on the 5G modem is definitely ongoing and it's definitely approaching. Um, you know, fruition, but it's not ready. And we've already heard a couple of times that it's been delayed and pushed back. Apple originally wanted to ship their first um in-house modems with the 2024 iPhones next year, but due to some issues, due to you know testing and quality assurance problems, it's at least been rolled back to 2025. And the it's always fluid; they can always push it back a little bit more if they have to.
0: Yep, and they have this extension with Qualcomm, right, where they can just say the existing licensing agreement put that on for another 2 years or so i think and mm-hmm. that date's coming up or is, is approaching at least and so uh so that's that's something what do you think there's uh about the apple watch being the test for this that's like probably surely there's like fewer apple watches well i don't know but do you think there's fewer apple watches of a sailor than there are iPads or uh, i think and, and, more watches and, are sold than iPads yeah that's probably true cuz it's yeah. every still model and is is cellular whether you use it or not Make, that's probably true. But what do you but think about the so watch as a testbed? Yeah. I
1: don't know yeah. what the split is in terms of cellular versus GPS on watch. But I think raw unit sales, the watch outsells the iPad. Yeah, certainly. So what do you think about the watch as a test bed for Apple's modems? Might be a different... Like you might have different requirements. Like I feel like an iPad's closer to a phone in terms of performance, right? In terms of sure, you know, yeah. Like the the way the modem in the in the watch works is very different. It, like has data to, it has different. Yeah, it has more power concerns in terms of being constrained. It's used for less things. So while it might be a good test bed for like you know the the software or the firmware of the, how the, the the baseband works and the modem works, it might not be like a direct parallel to like oh I've, I'm out here in the you know because if you ship an Apple modem and an iPhone it basically needs to perform identically or better than the iPhone that came in the previous generation for yeah. every single person on Earth in every single part of the world doing everything else, right? The watch wouldn't have that same stress testing because, I mean, a lot of the time, the watch, if, if the if the cellular is unavailable, it just falls back to the phone's connection anyway. So you could probably ship an, an, a, a faulty Apple modem in a watch and not even realize, like as a customer, you know, like most customers wouldn't even notice because mm-hmm. they don't actually use the cellular part that often. So although it might be a stepping stone, I feel like the iPads are much closer. Like, we can test run this, and it's very close to an actual phone experience. You know, because right. uh, the the error is much similar, the power draw is similar. Like, it's a lot closer. Whereas a watch is a slightly
0: different like formula, really. Yeah, and there's probably not any kind of magic Apple can do to make, say, you update, upgrade the watch to five G, and it's much not not just like five G performance, but the way that you can rely on the motor more often. Probably not a lot of magic Apple can do there. Even they, they do design their own cellular modem that can make the make the power hit on that just just less on on, on an Apple modem than than on Qualcomm, even on on the watch. So huh. Well, okay. So no SE four. No. <laughs> okay, yeah, and and, the, it, and even the modem stuff. Like yeah. I think it will
1: reap benefits eventually. But you know, look at what Apple. Look at Apple's um. A history with cpu design right like no one today would criticize apple for investing in doing its own silicon for its own cpus and gpus because the a-series line of socs are really really good but they started that process you know 2010 when they you know did the first ipad chip that was bought based on an acquisition of PSM in 2008 like these things are very very long timelines and yeah. the first generation of apple modem it might not be very impressive it might be you know about the same as the Qualcomm modem. It's like, why would you bother? But it's because the second generation, third generation, third generation will be able to start getting you know battery efficiency, performance improvements compared to what they could do just using off the shelf parts from Qualcomm. Because eventually they want to make like a single SOC that has the modem inside it. So when you have one chip instead of two, you get you know natural efficiency gains. But that probably isn't going to be what ships in version one. So again, you know, it's a very long tail of you know research, development, rollout. Iteration,
0: iteration, iteration. Yeah, you don't have the license from Qualcomm anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a bonus for them too. <laughs> yeah, Apple Card Savings Account. This is Apple Card US only. This is US only, of course. Um, this was announced not too long ago. Uh, and uh, it, it's apparently pretty good in terms of uh, rather than having your, your uh, Apple Cash back, like Apple Cash from um, re- rewards, like your you know, 1, 2, 3% rewards from using your Apple Card in different places. That would go to Apple Cash. It's like uh, you can spend it as money. Uh, instead, this can go to a different uh, area, which would be a savings account uh, operated by Goldman Sachs. And the interest rate there is 4.15%, which seems to be really competitive, like higher than other options. Yeah, right higher there. than
1: expected. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, at the, at the moment, um, Federal Reserve, you know, base rate is really high. So obviously, it's, it's up to it's up to there. I think yeah. when... Um, uh this this yeah daily cat the daily cash savings was announced like back in october and back then people thought you're gonna get like a two percent um interest rate but that's also because the uh, federal reserve hadn't boosted rates as much as they have in intervening months mm. uh so but anyway it's still higher than what a lot of people expected so it's a pretty good deal there's not too much to say here obviously like there's not a lot to analyze um it's just a c- continuing extension of apple's financial services which they started with the credit card itself and then you know a couple of weeks ago they launched um Apple buy now pay later Apple pay later in trial and that will be fully rolled out sometime this year and this is like another little element of that which is like oh you know if you are accruing daily cash and you want a simple way to save some money and earn some interest well now you can and if you really want to you can add money um that isn't daily cash to that savings account as well mm-hmm. to also get the 4.15 which is a, you know, it's not the highest rate you can find, but it's not bad for something that's um, just directly attached to your credit card because, you know, you're getting your cash back from Daily Cash. That goes straight into the same as account. You know, it it compounds in multipliers It's it's not terrible. So um mm. just another little extension. And it's no fees, no catches, which kind of fits quite well into the general match of the Apple Card, right, where there's no fee apart from the interest rate. Um, and in this case, there's no fee, and the interest rate's in your favor because you're making money on the money that's that's left there, so... Like, you, if you want to criticize all, you know, Apple getting to Service stuff, all those arguments have much more, like, you know, the predatory aspects of it, the the relevancy, those arguments have much more bite when they're about, like, the credit card or the buy-now-pay-later loan. It's harder to attach any of that to just, like, the savings account, which is only really beneficial, and if you don't want to use it, you don't have to, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this, like, Apple Card, like I mentioned, is Goldman Sachs-backed. Uh, and then the app, the buy now, Apple Pay later, whatever it's called. Uh, <laughs> Apple Pay later is what it's called. Yeah, yeah, that's Apple subsidiary, Apple Finance, where they're using their own money for that. And not Correct. Anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have the, I, I have the early access for that, but I haven't used it. Oh, do oh, you? That's cool. Yeah, I just saw it in the wallet app. Yeah, I opened it and it was like one of the things right there. So. Um, and that you can choose between fifty and one thousand dollars, and then you apply for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah haven't used it though uh HomePod HomePod learned a new thing this week it can now uh recognize smoke detectors and carbon monoxide alarms so if you're cooking in the kitchen and you have too much smoke in the air and your alarm goes off you you hear your fire alarm now and your home pods notify you so that's cool really I mean, it's obviously for... it's
1: more designed if you're not at home right? yes
0: exactly yeah. yeah
1: or if you're hard of hearing you know um, mm-hmm. having yes. hearing impairment um getting a notification on your phone via the HomePod is better than none at all. Although, obviously, if you're at home, the iPhone can already do this. So you go settings, accessibility, sound recognition. The iPhone can already... I think it was added like last year or the year before. It can listen out for all sorts of sounds and give you notifications on your devices. It can detect smoke alarms, fire, animal noises, appliances, doorbells, all sorts of stuff. The HomePod feature is just limited to the smoke and CO alarms noises for now at least mm-hmm. the way they've added this in like the screen it's clear that they intend to add other categories down the road because like you tap into the sound recognition settings and there's like a screen where there would be a list of different options of things to recognize but there's only one switch which is smoke and fire but there's like a whole <laughs> screen where it's like obviously this is going to be filled out in time yeah um it was quite interesting because this is a feature that they announced when the home pod second generation um was launched back in january and they said mm-hmm. this feature was coming later in the year. And so I've been looking out for it, like, every major OS release, you know, uh, 16.1, 16.2, 16.3, 16.4. And the 16.5 betas are out. And I test, I installed them and checked them there, too. And I was like, oh, the feature's not out yet. So I just have figured, oh, it's going to be a 16.6 thing. But just randomly, they're like, no, we're going to turn it on for 16.4 customers in the middle of the week. And they did, like, <laughs> this kind of over-the-air update. And yeah. it rolled out, and it's now available. Um, It's pretty nice that you can... You turn it on. I think it requires the new home architecture. So if you have the old one, you can't use it. Um, And then I tested it by just playing um, on my phone uh, an alarm noise I found on YouTube. And sure enough, after about 30 seconds, it popped up on the phone saying that, you know, the HomePod has detected noise in X room. And it would keep counting. So if you kept the the sound going, it said four one minute, four two minutes. So like it keeps the, it, it yeah. tracks it for you. And if you tap on the notification, it lets you what they call quote check in, and it lets you hear the live audio from the HomePod, which is nice. And if you have um, HomeKit uh, video cameras as well, it can put the video feed in too. And what's yeah. kind of funny with the check in thing is like you click it, and it, the the notification expands, and it says uh you know, please wait while we tell the while we announce the check-in. So then the home pod announces to the room someone is checking in with your home. Obviously that's the privacy um you know yeah. safety safety thing. And so then you you're on the notification, it like shows a little lonely spinner for like three or four seconds while it says that. And then you just get directly connected to the live audio from the home pod and there's a little button you can talk and do a two way talk session if that's appropriate. Um, so pretty nicely integrated feature. I do think it's kind of um, a little weird they do the whole like pre-announcement thing because if you do have a HomeKit video camera, you can you know check in any time. You just click on the video and it just launches the video feed from the home. So I don't know why they have to be so careful with it with the HomePod. I guess maybe because if it's a camera, there's like an implication it can always be on, whereas the HomePod is sitting there doing nothing. You assume um, it's not listening. Here. Yeah. Yeah, um, but. This kind of, after that feature, came, I thought oh, that was cool, and then it reminded me of that thing Alexa did a few years ago with their speakers, which I think is called Drop-In. And drop like, in, yeah. Yeah, at any time, you can just drop in and get you know start listening or start seeing through our, uh, an, an Echo speaker. Um, this check-in feature is only triggered when it hears a sound alarm at the moment. Although maybe in the future they open it up and you can just check in whenever you want.
0: Yeah, the I, I really enjoyed the way that Amazon speakers would do it, where they had drop in and announce, and and Apple's brought over announce, so that you can say, them, yeah. right, you can say, announce to, you know, dinner's ready, and it'll, it'll do it throughout throughout your home. Um, drop in was cool though, because like I'd be in my office, and the kids would be in their room or something, or in the living room, and I would say drop in to this room, and you know, there wasn't the announcement of someone in your home is listening now. Um, it would just ding, and you would think, oh, that's and then you'd hear the person talking or you hear like the noise from their room or something so i something i hope apple does and maybe this is the f- <laughs> the first implementation of it but they eventually make it just like drop in on on amazon speakers cuz it's a pretty cool product i mean it's announcing throughout the home as an intercom feature is one thing but it just reminds me of like older homes that had intercoms on every wall like by the doorway <laughs> and you could announce things or you could like call into another room you know it's like that but but modern
1: I've used the intercom feature on the homeboard a couple of times, but so often people want to talk back to you. But, right. And doing right. it via
0: the intercom feature is so slow. And they at like, the it would have been quicker if I just
1: phoned them, you know, and just yeah.
0: directly talk. I've done is... it like play playing with the kids, you know, like <laughs> just when I know that, you know, they're they're in the room or something and I'll just like surprise them with that and then they'll do it back to me and it's fun, but Um, Other thing with this uh, smoke detector feature, carbon monoxide alarm uh, detection with a HomePod is before now to have any of that in HomeKit, you need to have a HomeKit compatible smoke Mm -hmm. alarm, you know, and they make them and they're, they cost way more than like a a basic smoke alarm does. Um, But if you've already got the HomePod, then then this kind of gets you that without having to pay the premium for, you know, like one of the one link. Uh, smoke alarms so that's kind of cool the, like one thing you you i guess you would not get in this setup that you would get in that one is very subtle but with a home kit smoke alarm you can make it where you can do an automation where if the alarm is triggered and it's at night then all the lights come on and the doors unlock you know that's, that's kind of a, a cool scenario but i don't suppose you'd be able to do any automation with this even though i guess it'd be possible if apple built it in to say you know if the home pod triggers Recognizes an alarm, then run this automation. But not, probably yeah, not. Yeah, that's, that's not exposed. Yet, yeah, but but
1: nevertheless, like most people are not buying homekit smoke alarms, and probably feature, more scalable. Yeah, yeah. This feature gives so much benefit to everybody for basically doing nothing at all. So uh, big thumbs up. Yeah, I think it was good. Yep, nice. Happy hour this week is sponsored by Setup. Setup is the curated app subscription service for macOS and iOS. By MacPaw. And they have just released the results of their 7th annual Mac Developer Survey. They collected responses from 701 developers worldwide about industry trends, preferred distribution channels, and more. Here's some of their findings. According to the survey, almost one-third of surveyed developers distribute their apps solely outside of the Mac App Store. And 60% of respondents expressed interest in distributing their iOS apps through third-party app stores as a way to grow users and add revenue streams. ChatGPT also seems to be gaining traction to enhance apps with conversational AI. 39% of respondents are already using this technique in their development flow and another 41% say they're actively working on it. The use of AI and machine learning models to power app features is also increasingly popular with 44% adoption from those surveyed and another 28% stating they are working on doing so. The study also showed that accessibility is a key priority for many developers. Almost 9 out of 10 respondents put effort into making the apps accessible, with accommodations for visual impairments getting the most focus. On Apple platforms, that means things like dynamic text size and voiceover support. Finally, the economic downturn has impacted businesses around the world, including software development, affecting about three quarters of surveyed Mac developers' businesses. You can check out all of these insights and more by reading the full survey results using the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Setapp for sponsoring the show.
0: All right, for those who don't know, Nine to Five Mac Happy Hour is the premier podcast for Canal Plus coverage in America <laughs> and uh, worldwide, actually. And so, <laughs> and maker it's... of your one of your favorite
1: Apple series ever.
0: Yeah, cool. what is it? Calls. cause yeah. is really good. You should check it out if you haven't yet. The I, audio only Apple TV platform. I'm serious. It's really good. It has a it's good. It's gr- it's actually great. Uh Canal Plus they have a new deal with Apple TV. What is that? This is the the the, the um the, the service in France, right?
1: Yeah. So this yeah. is I think the biggest pay TV service in France, or then maybe they've been lapped by Netflix. But like the traditional like French providers like cable, you know, premium channel. Uh, Canal Plus is the biggest. They have about nine, nine, nine to ten million subscribers. Um, and for I'd say think since about twenty eighteen, they were one of the first cable companies to adopt Apple TV set top boxes as the cable box. Remember when that was like a big thing that was happening, Mm -hmm. and Apple pushed for that to happen. Um, they were one of the first to do that, so they've had a, a partnership with Apple for a while on TV stuff and. Um, eddie q and the canals plus ceo go all the way back to like the launch of the itunes store and stuff like that like a long history there and this is like the latest um thing to come out of that partnership uh in an interview eddie q called it a very unique deal unique situation so what they're doing here isn't really like a pattern that i would expect appears in other markets uh this is a unique situation uh, but it's very interesting and significant if you are a canal plus customer um apple basically announced that all canal plus subscribers will gain access to apple tv plus at no extra charge so we've seen this um in some places you know like um america t-mobile carrier bundles apple tv plus with some plans and a lot of um cable companies and uh, you know general subscription services media companies that you get through different ways have given away like trials and stuff and like smart tv makers all give away, you know, trial three-month trials of Apple TV Plus and stuff. But this is, like, the most significant thing I'd say because it doesn't matter what Canal Plus plan you're on, if you're on a Canal Plus tier, you get to watch Apple TV Plus um, without having to pay extra. So the financial terms of this arrangement in terms of, like, the business side were not, um, were not disclosed. It's not clear whether, like, it's just Canal's paying Apple, whether Apple's paying Canal. Like, it feels hmm. like some sort of symbiotic thing where maybe like money isn't changing hands but like apple gets the benefit of expanding awareness of their content and canal gets extra content that helps them compete with the likes of netflix and so but i presume there has to be a monetary aspect to this somewhere because like apple has to pay you know residuals licensing fees for putting all this stuff on like you know other other outlets so maybe there's some like deal they came to where they're like splitting the cost or something but i don't think it's like a big like you know, it's not a big money maker, let's put it that way. It's clearly like a marketing play, um, a marketing and awareness play, somewhat similar to what they're also going to start doing with putting, you know, Apple films in theatres first before going to the service. I put it on that kind of spectrum. Uh, But surely if you're a, like this has got to be one of the biggest things they've ever done to expand viewership for TV Plus because like if you're on the premier, primary um, pay TV service in France, now suddenly you have access to a whole bunch of, apple tv plus content without having to do anything apart from click the button to start watching it and even more than oh you have access to it it's it, it's integrated into the canal app like you don't log into apple tv plus app with your canal account information they're putting the Apple TV's content in the same app that you'd see everything else from your canal standard package mm-hmm. so right now it, the the it, it launched today actually Uh, April 20th, there's about 50 titles uh, from Apple TV Plus shows and movies now in the Canal app in in France and they're going to have the entire library within the coming weeks.
0: Um,
1: And and in addition to Apple TV Plus content appearing in the Canal app, which I think is called My Canal, um, they're also, as part of this deal, broadcasting Apple TV Plus shows on Canal's broadcast TV channels. So Tonight, uh, starting with the morning show, the, the the broadcast drama, the morning show, is going to be on broadcast TV. Like, like linear TV, yeah. Yeah, linear TV, yeah. Um, So it's a huge uh, marketing thing. And, and there's uh, clearly a marketing deal where, like, you know, Canal's, like, talking about it on their social media channels. There's billboards and promotion all over the shop. Like, if you're in France, like, think about it this way, right? Up to now, how many people in France do you think have ever watched Apple TV Plus or even know what it is? Like, it's got to right. be really, really small because... You know, Apple TV Plus is a a fledgling early service, and if you take the catalogue as small as it is now, it is vastly concentrated on English-speaking American audiences, right? Like, the amount of French content on Apple TV Plus is almost zero. In fact, up to the beginning of the year, it was zero. I mean, obviously, you have all the stuff with dubbing and subtitles, but in terms of raw French original content, um, only this year has Apple actually started to do that. So they had Liaison in February, and tomorrow they launch a adaptation of a Japanese manga called Drops of God, and that's in French and Japanese. So there's two titles on TV+, Plus right? They're actually in French. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's only as of this week. So if you're from Apple's perspective, right, I feel like this is kind of a no-lose possible big upside scenario because you can't be making much money off subscribers to Apple TV+, in France. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, the, you know, however big or small Apple TV+, is, they're clearly concentrated on us right now and then maybe some you know other english speaking markets like uk and whatnot so take france and this would apply to spain any uh, country germany or you can you can think of as well um but france is obviously where they got this partnership or this you know long lasting personal relationship with canal plus at least edq does um and so here's an opportunity to get a big distribution platform for Apple's content that they've already paid for. And there'll be some license costs, but, you know, relative marginal costs, are relatively low. But there's an opportunity to get a huge cultural impact. And I think that's kind of what, you know, the TV Plus thing kind of needs, right? Like, they have awards recognition and they have, like, prestige, uh, and they have big stars because they've you know got the budget to pay for it, but they don't have the big audience. It's just a fact. They're a small service in terms of viewership, and I think you to make shows big, you have to get people to see them, and yeah. it doesn't really matter whether they're having to pay to see them or they can see them by. Like I feel like you know, orders of magnitude more people are going to see Apple's content now in France. And that will have some percolating effect out to the rest of Europe and the rest of the world eventually. Like, it feels like a big positive. It's not a financial win, but maybe you can see it as a long-term thing, like in 10 years' time when this deal expires, then they can launch TV Plus and people actually know what it is in those in those markets.
0: Right, right. Yeah, It seems like it's the equivalent of, like, if, if uh, Xfinity Cable, you know, got Apple TV as a channel in the US, it seems like something that would be the equivalent of if it were in the US. And in that case, like, the, the channel's, charge a carriage fee to the cable service but like you said in this case it seems like maybe apple's benefiting the most although it's mutually beneficial um so that, so do you, have, do you have a sense of how long this lasts for like is there is there are the terms of the deal that is that with the timing or? they
1: said multi-years multi-years okay so at least yeah
0: at least two maybe three maybe maybe many
1: more yeah, because um, that's the other thing about this. Like, you know, that the T-Mobile thing where it's like Apple TV yeah, Plus is included. Could go like, away at any point. Yeah, and it's. I think even that one says like, you know, for the next year or so, like it's not guaranteed to continue. Whereas this is, you know, un, un, un uninhibited full access to the service on a platform that isn't even the Apple TV app, right? So you right, can't even say yeah. like they're trying to promote the iTunes Store or you know MLS or anything else. Yeah. Um, and it's across multiple years. Um, I'll give you an exact quote, actually. He said, this is a true partnership. It's not a promotion and it's not a one-time thing. It's a many years thing and hopefully something that lasts for forever, in my mind. Said cool, to you. yeah. So he's obviously into it. I think yeah. it's a great idea. Like, I, I kind of feel like they kind of misstep with TV Plus out the gate by not focusing more on viewership distribution in the first instance. Like, yeah, sure. They did that thing where it's like, oh, you get it free for a year. But A, that was at a time when the TV Plus library was brand new. So I almost feel like they did them a disservice because people signed up for the trial were well, like, there's not much here, and so then they unsubscribed, never came back. And then people weren't practically gonna pay for it when there's only, you know, ten shows, twenty shows, thirty shows, right? I kind of feel like a if a better avenue might have been to like just make it free for like the first like three years. Or maybe like every first season is free, and if you want to watch the second seasons, you have to pay. Like a different a-, a different angle on it, because clearly, you know, a lot of their content is pretty good. And not many people watch it. So a different approach might have been a better way around. And I feel like, that, you know, the, the horse has bolted in the US at least because um, it's, you know, many years on now. But they can do piecemeal things like this to boost awareness, boost viewership, boost people watching it. And not every single interaction has to happen behind the TV Plus pay for it to, you know, for benefit to accrue to Apple at the end of the day. This is one example, the... Putting films in theatres first before they stream on the platform is another example. Yeah. Um, and mate, and he says this is a unique partnership. He doesn't expect to see it, um, you know, with other networks around the world. But mm-hmm. other things along this axis of just get TV Plus content visible and, and viewed by more people surely has to be beneficial. You don't even have to do, like, you know, the... the your biggest shows necessarily but obviously this one is but they could do other stuff and i think the film the film idea of putting films in theaters to use that as basically marketing first is a good idea so it's really interesting it's a significant announcement and i guess the proof will be in the pudding by like you know in three months time what does apple's like because because all these like um, survey people find out like what people are into in different markets and stuff and so if you know apple's ratings for its content uh, go way up in france that has to be a positive even if it's not actually happening behind the apple Eve plus paper itself right
0: yep yep uh d- will will uh baseball be included and MLB will be friday night Baseball? no no included? no. it's um oh that's too bad because that's it's part TV of tv shows and movies yeah it's part of the service you know you pay eight bucks <laughs> and, you, and you get the, the baseball well anyway uh speaking of sports in the u.s well not everywhere uh it has mls season pass the soccer slash football uh subscription service for the season for US. Oh, baseball, the baseball works in multi-view so, as yeah. well. Okay, cool. So sports, multi-view, Apple TV. This came out of the blue, I guess. Like, we knew it was coming eventually. Uh they made a random announcement that it would be in beta later in the day and then it <laughs> came out. So you tried yeah. it out, you tested it out, you made a YouTube video about it. What are your thoughts? Yeah,
1: this is very similar in feature to existing things you can already do on the Apple TV box for other services like DAZN and ESPN and stuff. And like other so other apps on Apple TV offer like a quad box layout before and they work pretty similarly to how this one does. So clearly Apple has been inspired by um, the people before, but it's still a very nice implementation. And yeah, it did come a bit out of the blue. Like it came up in code references a couple of weeks ago. We talked, we mentioned it on the show, I think. Um, but then it was like, Apple like said, "Oh, um, if you've got the latest beta of TVS six point five, you'll be able to try it out for real on Friday night, which is like a week ago now, and then also on Saturday and Sunday for the MLS. Um, so on so on the Friday games, you could do you could watch both baseball games overlapping at the same time in a two up arrangement, and then on MLS season pass, they have like a dozen games going over the weekend, so there was plenty of things to watch at the same time. Um, so yeah, I tried it out and." For, for what is a could theoretically be a complicated feature it's pretty simple you know you there's a little button on the video player uh that looks like a grid while you're watching something live and there's other live stuff going on so you click that button it then zooms down the video um and it puts a little strip along the bottom of other live games you just click on them with the remote and then they appear next to the other game in a like a grid arrangement um if there's two it's side by side if there's three it's you know two on the top one on the bottom if it's four it's in a symmetrical grid although there's also a little selector you can make one game big and the other three smaller in that in that case cool yeah um and then you just so so you add the games you want to see and they appear in that little like preview of the grid you swipe back up the little bar at the bottom disappears and everything's full screen so you get four games up to four games running at the same time and the audio is basically the game it comes from the video that you're hovering over with the remote so you can just swipe Mm -hmm. around with the remote to change the audio input all works very smoothly. If you know, if something kicks off in a in a stream and you want to quickly see it full screen, you just click the remote, it zooms up to full screen, you can watch the action go on, you know the action finishes, uh you press back and it takes you back out to the multi-view that you already had set up. So it works pretty smoothly actually, and I was pretty impressed with it. Like the ESPN and the dozen ones basically work the same, but I don't think they um have a bit of the finesse, like the animations aren't as nice. It's not as smooth to get in and out of. So the Apple implementation is pretty good. Um, Which, you know, you can't always guarantee from TV app features. Because sometimes they do it pretty badly. But this one is uh, pretty good. I'd say the worst part of this whole thing is the getting started. Because the way to watch live stuff in the TV app is pretty bad. Like, the Discovery is bad. They don't have, like, a dedicated live tab. So, like, once you get into watching a live game, it's quite easy to set up the multi-view for other stuff. But... The awareness of there's live content to watch now and the tv app is still um obviously not affected by this so hopefully that's something they're going to work on for future versions of the tv app in general but when that happens you know maybe they can even have like an epg or something combining all live stuff like the other thing that always gets me is um yeah they market season pass at the moment because that's their new cool thing but like apple music does a live 24 7 music video channel
0: yeah i forgot about that
1: well exactly. Why would you remember it? Because they, there's no way to find it. Like it's it's like one row on the watch now screen, the TV app, and you have to scroll like miles down to always see it. Like if they had like a live tab, you could just have like a you know electronic programming guy kind of layout of you know, here's MLB on now, here's MLS, here's the Apple Music Channel, here's some other live stuff we've got going on, here's live stuff from other apps. Like there's a lot of potential for them to do stuff. Um but none of that happens. Uh but yeah, just to clarify, multi view is only in the TV app. And it only applies to live content that is streamed directly within TV. So right now that's mm. and it's limited to sports only, which is Friday Night Baseball and MLS season pass. Maybe with TVS seventeen, they might make multiview like a system thing so you can put other app content and mix and match. Uh, but that's not how it works right now.
0: Right. and they they did a good job I like, guess years ago now with, with picture in picture on Apple mm-hmm. TV, where it's it's really usable. Like, you know, it's easy to do on a on a basic tv with a remote that just puts the box in the corner and then you flip between the two if you want to um on apple tv it's you know it can do more than that so it's got a pretty good user interface for you know where you put the where you put the thing and like which one you switch to and get, getting back and forth um so that, yeah, that's sadly not
1: many third-party apps actually integrate the api right. on tvs for yeah. that yeah um, yeah but the ones that do it does work well that's right yeah well cool Multi well, view. yeah so multi-view um apple still hasn't confirmed whether it's going it to ship tvos to I did notice a few little minor glitches and bugs. Um, but it's only like beta two or six point five, so it could easily be ready enough to ship with sixteen point five. They just haven't officially confirmed that. And there's always a chance it like, you know, gets pushed back to a later release. But when it does ship it it's a it's a good feature for sure. And it definitely helps um for the season pass case for MLS because they schedule like six concurrent games live. Um and people want to watch more than one team at once. Um And the the, the MLS original answer for that was the MLS 360 whip around show, um, which is like a hosted show where they, you know, flick between highlights of the games that are on. But a lot of viewers, a lot of fans just want to be able to watch one or two games at the same time of their favourite teams and they want to be able to control the action, zoom in and out, keep tabs on it. And so Multiview gives them that solution. It's only on TVS right now. Unclear if the plan is to make it available on you know, iPhone, iPad, Mac, other TV app platforms, because obviously the TV app's on third-party places too, but Mm -hmm. running four screens at once is processor-intensive, so that might not happen. But it would be nice if they could bring it to the Mac and the iPad and stuff, but right now it's TVS only. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by ZocDoc. We've all been there, feeling unwell and randomly Googling online, trying to find a cause for some symptoms that we've been having. You end up stumbling down a rabbit hole of Quote unquote" advice from so-called experts but we all know there are better ways to get the answers you want from trusted professionals not random people on the internet and the best way to find a professional's is to use ZocDoc. ZocDoc helps you find expert doctors and medical professionals that specialize in the care you need. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. Go to ZocDoc.com to get the app and sign up for free. You can book an appointment with a qualified doctor with ease. Find the right doctor in your neighborhood that meets your needs, takes your insurance, and fits in with your schedule feel confident by reading the verified patient reviews. Then book an appointment in just a few taps and start feeling better faster using the free app that millions of users are relying on. So go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. Once again, that's ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com happy hour. Thanks to
0: ZocDoc sponsoring the show okay this week there's some new stuff about the macbook air 15 inch what processor it will have when it will ship all the above uh, so a couple things from mark german some new things and new prediction updates and revisions from ming chi quo we'll start with mark german yeah so german
1: in a report said that apple is ramping up testing of It's 15-inch MacBook Air ready for a release at WWDC in June, most likely. Um, Interestingly, he described it that the MacBook Air 15-inch will feature a screen resolution that's the same as the 14-inch MacBook Pro. And it will have Apple Silicon performance that is, quote, on par with M2 Max. So not necessarily the identical M2 chip that's in the current MacBook Air, but something very similar maybe it is the same. But basically what he's saying there is you're not going to get the M3 generation in the 15-inch MacBook Air. He says the M3 chips are in the works, but they're probably not coming out until like the end of the year, maybe with updates to the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro and stuff like that. Um, and in next year you'd get on the 16-inch MacBook Pros as well. But the, mm-hmm. the thing that everyone's interested in, this 15-inch form factor for the MacBook Air supposedly is set to be announced at wwc in june uh but the screen resolution will be a you know it'll be a 15 inch screen physically but it will have the same screen you know logical real estate as the 14 inch maverick pro because it'll have the same screen resolution um just spread over a wider space so you know pixel density will be slightly lower but obviously it's more than good enough for the kind of entry-level MacBook air kind of situation
0: the... The the pros have what native resolution right, and then the errors have scaled. So mm. is, is this another example of that? Um, I guess it would need to be fourteen inches for it to be native.
1: Yeah, I, the the in this case it's the same. Well, it's not really the same result. It's it, in this case it's different because the it's a bigger screen with a. Smaller screen resolution, so you're just getting right. less pixel density, but it's sure, not technically sure. a scaled resolution because a scaled resolution is like if you've got a thousand by a thousand pixel screen, you scale a 1200 by 1200 image down to thousand by a thousand. Yeah. This would be a native resolution image, it would just be a less pixel dense image than what you'd get by looking at the Mapbook Pro. Okay, but I, it probably matches the. I haven't actually checked this, but it probably matches the PPI you get on the thirteen-inch MacBook Air (laughs) on the thirteen-inch MacBook Air, just a fifteen-inch size. At least close enough that it's not going to be like a oh, this is terrible because you know it's really blurry. Like, no, there's plenty of pixel density on the sixteen-inch and the fourteen-inch to be able to, um, you know, make it slightly less, i.e., make it slightly cheaper to make. I'm sure, uh, but but make people happy.
0: Yeah. So then the thing to compare then is the thirteen-point-six-inch MacBook Air and the fourteen. I think point 0. zero inch MacBook Pro and see. Well, these are the differences. So that's what you'll get with a larger fifteen inch MacBook Air. Um, so. Yeah. So in
1: terms of the amount of stuff you can see on the screen, it will be identical to the fourteen inch MacBook Pro. It's right. just the buttons will be slightly bigger because they're stretched out over one more inch of screen real estate.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right.
1: Yeah, and not, not terrible. Yeah, in the M two situation, I think you know it'd be nice if it was M three now, but I think probably this is just a remnant of delays in general to the product i.e the 15 inch MacBook Air was probably meant to come out last year
0: Hmm.
1: now it's not like they wanted the 13 inch and the 15 inch with the same chip to be a year apart it's just how it played out in terms of supply chain getting everything ready i think most likely like this isn't necessarily substantiated by any reporting but seemed like to me they probably originally wanted both to come out at the same time last june and then maybe um Maybe it was then like, oh, the 15-inch will be the full, and then it... Oh, no, okay, we got no, other... Delays priorities, right? Yeah, we got other I mean, priorities and stuff. We know yeah.
0: everything that came out in, like, January was kind of meant... And, like, three March was, like, meant for last year. You know, last yeah, year.
1: so I think this is probably a... You know, maybe it's in COVID-related, who knows? But there was some delay. Like, I don't think it was the original, original intention that this would just be a year later than the 13-inch. It's just how it's played out. But yeah. still, I think it'd be a pretty popular product. Obviously, it depends on price, but we yeah. don't know
0: that now, now course said in 2022 in june 2022 that he was talking about the 15 inch macbook um that it would com- that or that it may offer two CPU options m2 with 35 watt adapter m2 pro with 67 watt adapter have we heard anything more about an m2 like if if a pro version of this would would be an option or just well the- hes he
1: he tweeted today that there' would just be m2 like it'll just be bin versions of a standard m2 okay. so like You know how the 13-inch MacBook Air, you can get a 7-core one, you get an 8-core one. Yeah. That's what he's saying. There'll be multiple options like that, not an M2 Pro version, which never really made sense because the the MacBook Air is fanless and the Pro and the Max version of the chips have higher heat requirements. So Mm -hmm. it was always a bit of a wonky rumor, that one, Um, because unless they're going to put fans in it, they're probably not actually getting any benefit anyway because they have to throttle them down to keep the heat in line uh so what he says today makes way more sense with just like you have m2 chips they'll have some number of cpu and gpu cores and you have a higher end model that has slightly more cpu and gpu cores but it's still the m2 generation
0: like with the four oh, excuse me 13 inch like with the 13-inch
1: m2. Yeah. yeah but basically yeah. this laptop is going to be a 13 inch with a 15 inch screen right but right. a lot of people would, would buy that i'm sure because it's a compelling a compelling uh, product yeah, and comes in cool colors that like you don't get with pros. some separate- reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe the 15 inch only comes in one color. We don't. We don't, we don't like, <laughs> only so. comes in midnight. That would only uh, comes in midnight. I mean, the midnight is a cool
0: color to be fair. Yeah, it is a cool color. Yeah. All right. So that's that's that. Uh, headset. Kermit has a report on the headset, and it's sort of you know get out your last bit of reporting before the thing becomes official. You know, in a month's time or so, ho- hopefully. Uh, but uh, basically, German's saying that if an app can run on an iPad, it will run on your headset. Yeah! And that's interesting. <laughs> he basically makes it sound like
1: uh, everything the iPad can do, the headset will be able to do independently on its own. Right. Uh, so, no,
0: no calculator app, but, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is. yeah. He said Apple is working on optimized versions of, and I have to take a breath here. Yes. <laughs> Safari calendar, contacts, files, home, mail, maps, messages, notes, photos, reminders, music, news, stocks, weather, FaceTime, TV, Fitness Plus, Apple Books, Freeform, and also ARified versions of the iWork suite with pages, numbers, Keynote, and then also iMovie and GarageBand. So basically, everything that comes pre installed on an iPad will also be pre installed on, or at least available on, the Apple headset. The question comes, what does optimized version mean? So the way this is like presented, the fact that it's literally every every iPad app is on the headset, it kind of sounds to me we're going to have something similar to like a Catalyst arrangement, right? Where iPad apps can come to the headset with relatively little work, but they'll mostly work and act like a 2D... You know, windowed iPad app, except they'll be right. floating in front of you inside of a headset, and you can multitask. And one of the features he describes is that the headset operating system will have like a spatial memory. So, like if you leave the Safari window here when you were using it in the kitchen, you go out to a different room, but then you come back later, that same Safari window will be sitting there waiting for you in the same place, <laughs> which is a which is a pretty cool feature, I think. Um, yeah, like if you're, you know, if you have some apps open when you're working, can you and bring your it into that? different? Can you drag it to your living room? I presume you can move it around, yeah. so weird to me, yeah. It'd be a bit weird if you could only leave it in one spot and never move it. So I imagine (laughs) you can rearrange them, you can drag them around, but then they'll be coming there waiting for you when you get back. It's a somewhat cool idea, to be fair. Um, But the other way you could do this is, like, have a different UI framework that is, like, fully taking advantage of 3D space, right? So rather than just having, like, 2D windows floating around, I don't know, you could like pull out a drawer that actually moves laterally and towards you and away from you and all this like stuff, you know, more like a metaverse and not, you know, not necessarily a metaverse, but you know what I mean? Like an all-encompassing world of an application. Whereas what it sounds like German's saying here is that Apple's currently basically working on, you know, the standard XY2D layouts of iPad apps that we know and love today, except there'll be... You know, optimised to have different touch targets and stuff, so they can work with the gestures and the pinch gestures of your hands and your eye tracking. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, what I imagine is that there will be a way for people to make apps in the kind of like full immersive three D, all singing all dancing, yes, um, universe for lack of a better word. Uh, but they're going they're going to evangelise, just getting as many apps as possible on the platform. And the easiest way to do it is to use the, you know, AR Catalyst, whatever they call it, which takes an iPad app and reformats it and represents it as something that can work with the interaction methods of a headset. Reality Catalyst. Reality Catalyst, yeah. Yeah. Like FaceTime's a good example, right? Like they've already talked about before that um, when you're doing a one-on-one conversation, you're going to get like a super realistic 3D um, avatar that you're going to talk back and forth to. It's not just going to be the iPad FaceTime in a bigger screen. And, and, and you can't imagine that you're going to have, like, you know, a sidebar uh, like you get on an iPad when you're doing this immersive one-on-one conversation. So FaceTime might be an app that actually gets, you know, more investment in terms of it looks completely completely new. But, like, the Files app, I don't think they're going to... The way it's presented in this Bloomberg report, it doesn't sound like they have like, you know, your files are going to, instead of being a 2D grid layout that you can, you know, navigate with a window and a sidebar, uh, they're going to be, like, physical manifestations of files that are spattered all in over it, the floor in and you can pick them up and yeah. drag them around. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's fine or whatever. And, it, you know, a lot of productivity is, per- is perfectly done with windowed apps. But there is a question of, okay, you can do them in the headset, but why would you want to, you know? Like, that. just because they exist and because they can be ported over doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be, like, better than doing it With an actual iPad. Like, one of the examples he has is the Apple Books app, right? Like, the iPad or the phone feels more natural than putting on a headset to read a book. Just instinctively right now. Because the iPad and the phone are basically book-shaped. You hold them in your hand and you can tap and flick the pages around. Like, I don't envisage myself wanting to put on a
0: big headset to read a book. Well... I find in book reading that sometimes you get distracted, I'm very easily distracted by the weight of the book or the weight of the device or the angle you're looking at it and that and so if you just lay back in your recliner and you see the text on the book and you wave your arm to turn the page, then it's just a little bit more immersive, a little bit less distracting than the physical world. So that one I can see um, things like music. You know, you, you want to hear some music. You probably, like, this is probably like, the hardest way to activate music that you could do in, in the current, like, Apple technology lineup. But I can see that if you're browsing Safari and you're reading a book that you're already there. So then, you, of course, you want to be able to do your music there. Yeah, um, GarageBand? <laughs> this could be fun. It could be, like, the, the the rock band game, you know, but, like, real life. More, more realistically, like, that and iMovie, Movie. You could see the timeline, because, you know, it's like timeline editors, you know, extend mm. yeah, further, like wrap around Yeah, I'm something where
1: you could really see, if they went all in, they could make, like, an AR UI that is, like, completely different to what you see on a Mac. Yeah. Um, but would actually be useful, because you could, like, turn your head and see further into the past and turn the right and see further down the timeline. Like, it would, yeah. like, be right in front. You can, like, rearrange it and drag it around. Like, like, like in... wave your hand
0: and, like, move faster down it. And
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, in, in many of the same ways where we said oh you know iMovie for the iPad is more natural than doing just a direct Mac translation or whatever and like for that i can see like yeah there's actually real value in making like a full AR version versus just being like a floating window so you could edit
0: podcasts in your headset I mean if you can do GarageBand
1: yeah if you did a GarageBand although it's an
0: iPad version so yeah but (laughs) (laughs) and we know why there we know why there's numbers Tim Cook's obsessed with doing spreadsheets and AR VR Mm um freeform is a pretty cool one i mean that and stage manager are like two new things from last year that are like dimensional and collaborative and like free freeform is right in the name you know you've got infinite space uh so so those yeah are apple had well-timed. 10 years to
1: make an infinite canvas whiteboarding app <laughs> yes. and they never did it and then they did it last year and it's like this probably has a ar slash vr motivation mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you can imagine a big you know expansive whiteboard kind of in front of you maybe while you're doing a FaceTime call you can interact on the free film canvas that's in front of you in this 3D world like there's there's avenues there for stuff like I'm interested in seeing I'm still questioning the overall value of the thing but uh, it'll be cool Um, shifting it slightly from the you know the massive list of iPad apps that are getting ported over uh, German reiterated sports viewing will be a big selling point for this headset I mean they, they acquired NextVR, as you first reported, back in January 2020, Zach. Big exclusive that continues to uh, be relevant. Yeah. <laughs> so it remains I, unclear what deals they have to actually show AR Sports. Uh, one of the rumoured reasons why they, they backed out of the Sunday ticket deal was that they couldn't get rights to broadcast VR, AR, Sunday ticket games. Uh, maybe they've got to deal with MLS to do some stuff like that. Because um, if they can get... An, but then also you have problems of, you know... You have to get all the AR and VR cameras fitted in the stadiums and deployment. Like, it's a big... It's easier said than done, right? And even if you're the technological solution, actually getting content for it is a different different thing entirely. But that is something where you can immediately see, like, you want to be immersed as if you're in a stadium, but you don't actually have to leave your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if they can pull it off, that'd be really cool. Um, here's a good one. Gaming is supposedly a focus for the company again. So previous Mark Gurman reports said that Apple hadn't prioritized gaming as a category even though like every other VR headset that exists today basically uses gaming as its primary motivation it's like a games platform first and everything else second um you know apple as a company has never really been institutionally interested in games much um so when german said oh they're focusing on communication rather than game stuff it was like okay well might not be the right move but you can see why apple would definitely go down that path but supposedly that those original ideas or you know, list of priorities have changed lately so now gaming is more of a focus so there probably will be some you know ar game demos come come in june um which is nice because i think gaming is one clear you know reason the for existence and it's simple and people and there are already plenty of games that exist on facebook meta platform meta quest platform that would love to have another re- place to be able to sell games on so mm-hmm. that's a lot of co- that's a lot of quote-unquote content you can bring over to this device relatively easily um so yeah, that's the latest round of stuff for this headset that might be too expensive for anybody to buy. But uh,
0: yeah, yeah. It sounds cool. <laughs> I mean, it useful. Sounds, I don't know, but cool. It, yes, it sounds cool and like it's fun to try out a whole new design of something, a whole new user interface in some way. And you know, here, here we go. I guess. And and if. We, we we expect WWE announcement. We don't really know when release would be. You know, it could be the following year. Yeah. After, I after
1: think I mean, a lot of some rumors are like end of the year, but it could easily be like a spring thing, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we're at least getting closer to something, we hope, more than just, you know. And then we have to figure out reports. who's going to buy it. Who's <laughs> well, take the you may have a lot of time to, to, to prepare for that.
1: <laughs> Start saving
0: yeah I, three three grand i think i spent that once on a macbook pro in 2016 it had like a terabyte ssd and some pretty good specs
1: yeah i mean my 2021 macbook pro was about that price and that but, was abundant and that that made me money for my job yeah i mean this like the 2021 macbook pro that was about three grand i'm yeah. recording it right now i use it literally every single day yeah. i couldn't do what i need to do without it like it's, the, well, it's, it's, it's easily the the best value of 3d grand I've ever spent yeah well it's got, it's got all the iPad
0: apps on it so yeah
1: oh yeah that's definitely the reason yeah so it does it for you yeah the yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the catalyst apps are really the big selling point there. no like the the 20 pro I absolutely love the thing it yeah. was expensive but I'll easily use it for five years basically every single day straight
0: so the three grand used-
1: first generation headset on the other hand is not that
0: if you use it for 10 years it's as if it cost half the price
1: well yeah this headset you might you, you, <laughs> you like you might have it for 10 years but what the hell are you going to do on it nothing well, like and,
0: and i think it will be it will be like the apple watch where it gets pretty dated pretty quickly
1: yeah you know? there's obviously like this is the start of a journey right like yeah. it's like spending $3000 on the first macbook ever right mm-hmm. probably a silly idea although obviously it's not a direct parallel with back then technology more expensive in general but you you get the gist right like i do, I do. It's, it's like buying the Apple Watch Gold Edition the, in 2015. Probably not a
0: wise choice. But for your face, yeah. And yeah at, least, at least
1: this has functionality associated with the higher price, whereas the gold one was just, it's gold. Sure. But I can't wait to see it. I'm really excited for it. Um, mm-hmm. And, and German get... says that WWC will have loads of developer sessions and, you know, yeah. a big evangelizing for the headset. Like, they could easily have launched this headset and not bothered to put all the apps I just listed. So they could have made it a much smaller affair, you know? So... They're going all out, clearly, and
0: um, I'm interested in seeing it arrive. Well, an Apple's favorite thing to say is we can't wait to see what you do with it. So, <laughs> like, literally. We, can- <laughs>
1: we need you to come up with things to do with it, please. Let us know. <laughs> Finally, Happy Hour is brought to you by FastGrowingTrees.com. Breathe some life into your own backyard with FastGrowingTrees.com this spring. Trees are a great way to add some privacy and shade to your home, while also looking great showing off the beauty of nature. Let FastGrowingTrees.com help you plant your dream garden with their expert advice and fast shipping. Go to FastGrowingTrees.com slash happy hour now to get 15% off your entire order. Their plant experts curate thousands of easy to grow plant, shrub and tree varieties for your climate. Knowing what to plant can be daunting. It's hard to know what is best for your particular climate and soil. But no need to worry. FastGrowingTrees.com gives you customized recommendation based on your specific needs. And there's no more waiting in long lines to haul heavy plants home from the garden centre. With FastGrowingTrees.com, you order online and your plants arrive at your door in just a few days. Now, Zach, I know you received some plants from trees, so I'm curious to hear what you got and uh, how they look.
0: Yeah, sure. The, uh, well, first thing I would say is that in buying plants for my home, um, I just did indoor plants because I figured it's safer that way for me. And, um, I, I probably would have like went with fake plants if not fast-growing um, trees.com because this is uh, <laughs> it's more like the internet lifestyle that we're used to um, versus going out and like shopping in a, in a greenhouse or something um, I received a uh, fiddle leaf fig tree what I love about faster trees in this regard is that not only do they let you know what's appropriate for your or you know where you live what sort of lighting it will be exposed to etc but they also have really good instructions for how to maintain the plants that you purchased and um i've got those saved in a text file and anytime i'm unsure like am i doing this wrong you know just reassure myself i go back and i look at the instructions that they provide and i love that and everyone comments like when i'm on a video call and they see my plants in the background now they're like oh your house is looking nice these days so that's really cool um lastly the Eureka palm that i have (laughs) last yesterday my daughter was laying on the couch and i have it where like it's a little bit over the um, arm of the couch and the window is open the wind blowing and my daughter said look, I'm at a spa. <laughs> I looked at her and she was like under the Eureka Palm. Um, and she's like, it's like nature. <laughs> I'm like, it really is. So um, huge fan of Fast Growing Trees, one of my favorite sponsors we've had ever. Um, highly recommend it. Check it out.
1: Join over 1.5 million happy Fast Growing Trees customers. Go to fastgrowntrees.com slash happy hour now to get 15% off your entire order. Get 15% off at fastgrowntrees.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Fast Growing Trees. For sponsoring the show.
0: Okay, Benjamin Mayo, you want to discuss the Apple TV Plus series *Shrinking*?
1: Yeah, just quickly because you obviously yep. finished watching it. I think you were watching it as the episodes aired, right? Uh, yes. yes. Yeah. So I didn't, but I have finished it as of this week. Um, minor spoilers ahead. I guess if you're listening and you don't want to know, uh, stop listening now. But I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good show, actually. Um, yeah. The it, it didn't go quite how i expected it to based on the premise so the like all the advertising and like the the log line is like you know what happens when a therapist starts going against the number one rule and starts giving out advice so i was expecting the show to be more like um you know the jason siegel character telling people bad advice and it going really wrong Mm -hmm. and then seeing the consequences of that and that happens a little bit at the beginning but then it mostly molds into just like a you know, Jason Siegel's life show kind of, kind of deal, yep. like yep. with his career being a therapist, there wasn't so much in the middle of like, you know, he's telling, he's doing, he's going against the grain
0: and telling people. You sort of, rather than just sort just of forget that that's even like the, the backdrop to it all. Yeah. It, like it is. Like it informs. Like Ted Lasso,
1: obviously the premise is, you know, the coach comes from abroad to coach a football team that he doesn't know about. And although it also goes off into all sorts of different emotional directions, that premise is still very, very at the fore, right? Like, the Ted Lasso character is defined by, you know, the sport, right? Um, this, not so much. I, you could almost watch the middle episodes of this show and not really know what the Jason Siegel character does. Like, sure. you know what yeah. I mean? Like, he goes to work, right? That's It's more like a work comedy, like work-home comedy. But as a work-home comedy, I thought it was really good. Now, the ending wraps back around to the consequences of telling people what, you know, what <laughs> giving people advice in a bad way. Yeah. And the ending
0: give a season 2 a purpose.
1: It gives it gives season 2 a reason to exist, I'd say, but I didn't I almost th- thought it slightly dampened the overall rating I'd give the show just cuz it felt a little too official, a little too forced, right? Like yeah. if the if the every episode had been more oh, you know, or you know, a more a more for a more primary something, theme of the something show Something big would, always
0: happened like that in every episode, Yeah, or I mean. like
1: cuz then it would set the tone, right, for
0: oh, it's more of a
1: you know, light-hearted, oh, you know, oh, this has gone wrong, he's done this, you know, he's punched him because he said it, and then this happened, this happened, That happened, where really you had, like, an event at the start with the punch-up, nothing really in the middle, and then this drastic
0: uh, death at the end. And which, it kind of comes which, out of nowhere. Which could be, like, I, I could see it easily being, like, not really setting the stage for the next season, just being, like, the cliffhanger <laughs> for season one. And I almost thought it might be more effective
1: like, if it was a cliffhanger. Like,
0: yeah. the
1: fact that she actually pushed him kind of was like, oh. Like, I kind of thought what was going to happen when they started showing the clips of them walking to the edge. I thought she's going to, like, you know, flash back to him saying that stuff. And then, like, think about it, but not actually do it. You know, or, like, put her hands or he, up or he, something. and then or like he
0: may accidentally fall. Yeah. Yeah, or,
1: like, he falls accidentally. So, like, you get the, oh, he's said this bad advice, but it wasn't actually his advice directly causing it. The fact that she just like walked up and straight pushed him, I thought was a bit for lack of a better word, pushing. It, you know, sure. Stretching the yeah. the yeah. credulity. But apart from that, I thought the actual show, like the middle section of the show, was really engrossing and it went in different ways to what I was expecting. It was a really like you know, the main character's good. Harrison Ford um was great in his role. I yeah. think the show, if you want to give a rating, I'd give it like a it's a seven. I'd say I'd give it a seven out of ten and then the cast, like the Harrison Ford and the Seagull and the... I forgot her name, but the Alice character, you know, the main mm-hmm. girl. Um, I thought she was really good too. That kind of pushes it up to like the eight territory. Um, so I'd, 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 have a very, I'd give it a very strong recommendation, that's for sure.
0: Some things I like about Shrinking that are different from Ted Lasso, you know, since they're from, you know, creators of the same world. Uh, the, Ted Lasso eventually gets there, but I'm not sure it's quite as like... Uh, effective, but in and shrinking every character kind of has their own story, and and they have some overlap with each other. And throughout the season, there's more overlap with other characters who never met. Um, but I feel like each each character's story is interesting on its own. Um, and then with Ted Lasso, like they all begin together, and then they go apart. It's like the opposite of that. Mm. Um, and 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 I feel like like Ted Lasso season three is like a, a pilot for spinoffs. Like which which one of the individual stories is most compelling, and that's the one that we'll go with. Jason Sudeikis uh, is done, so which... It, ex- you know, right, right. Roy Kent, Roy Kent the uh, Roy Kent series is on the order, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, but in this case, it's like they, they all kind of started separate, and then they eventually cross over into each other's worlds in ways that are like, you know, you didn't see it coming, so... Um, and every character is just a, really does a good performance. <laughs> like, there's, there's there's heartwarming elements of it, there's like things you didn't see coming, um, there's, there's just like laugh-out-loud funny parts of it like anytime a show actually makes me laugh i'm like "Think it's doing this job you know what i mean if it's supposed to be funny so
1: yeah and i'd still say there's a lot it it is classed as a comedy obviously but there's still a lot of drama in it right like it's definitely in the dramedy category yeah
0: it's in the dramedy category but it's also like it's it's touching in a way that um like even if your situation i mean he loses his wife and he's like coping from that and like like, she she died and like his daughter's like like separately coping from it and then they um sort of work all that out you know and as a therapist himself he's kind of like failing on his own you know talent expertise Uh, so there's like some things are like really touching in all of it as well you know aside from the the comedy aspect of it so uh, and it mixes stupid jokes with like quite intelligent jokes i thought quite well like there
1: are some shows which are just like you know they they're just like gag a minute kind of things and this isn't that but like it has some of those gag a minute jokes interweaved in places where it felt that it didn't distract from it. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I thought it was done quite well.
0: And like, I was, I was telling you as I was watching it, like, just vaguely, like, I think that this, like, you, the, this shrinking world can go on as like a, you know, in the way that like something like Scrubs, for example, you know, some same, same like universe of creators um, had multiple, multiple, multiple seasons, and it took like to like the last, you know, one to really fall off the rails. I think that this shrinking world could go on like that, where it's got like you wouldn't feel like. Even with Ted Lasso, like there's this as we know, there's this three season arc, then what? Um and this is like it's it's almost like what you'd see on like um, you know, we have the old rumors of like NBC, but I don't know, what what, what was the uh, accusation of Apple? Big budget NBC, came? yeah. Big budget NBC is like, yeah, this could be one of those like just like weekly sitcoms or you know, that you tune into that um there's not like a huge story overall. Eventually it just becomes like this is what they're doing this week. Um, and I liked that about it because it felt.
1: I, I, I don't know if this is going to disappoint you, but there was an interview with Bill Lawrence <laughs> that said they have a three season plan for shrinking as well.
0: Well, good, yeah, but yeah. I, I think that you can do this though, and then like there it wouldn't you wouldn't have season three be the backdoor pilot, <laughs> yeah, for yeah. <laughs> the fourth season. It's like
1: yeah, because I mean Harrison Ford is a huge get for a TV show. He's not going to do it forever, right? So three season commitment for that is like. But also, you can see, you can imagine. Directions for his character to be dealt with and taken out of the equation. Satisfied, and, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Either he becomes degeneratively, you know, disimposed or he dies or, you know, or he just goes around and has fun with, you know, his new his new wife or whatever. So, like, yeah. there's ways that he could leave the show and they could carry on past season three if they wanted to. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, if you haven't seen it, I I recommend it. Yeah.
0: What did he text me? He said, I'm watching Indiana Jones do shrimp mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, for me, I'm watching Solo do mushrooms, but, you know, <laughs> very similar, very similar. Uh, let's wrap up here with some Netflix stuff. So Netflix is, you know, sorry if you have left for the spoiler, you, you won't hear this, but Netflix upgraded their ad-free plan um, this, from 720p to 1080p resolution. No extra charge, Mayo. Seven bucks, I think, is the cost with ads. Uh, and this so, is after spending like a decade on 480p. Yeah, so only, it took less than a year, I think, to... <laughs> yeah, they, it was a huge
1: moment when they went to 720p last year, which I think was around September time. Yeah. And so six months later, it's now 1080p, but only on the ads plan. Yeah.
0: Only on the, the non-ads
1: ads plan mm-hmm. is still 720p.
0: Yeah, the cheap non-ads plan. So ads... I mean, advertisers complain. Their their ads were in too low of a resolution. <laughs> so this is what we get. Um, more more
1: interestingly, actually, uh-huh. yeah. Um, on the earnings call... Netflix had earnings this week. They were like, yeah. you know, fine, whatever. Uh, but this one tidbit stood out to me. They said that revenue per customer from the ads plan is exceeding the standard plan in the US. So that's not the base. So the 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 ads plan is basic with ads, right? Which is and the basic plan is nine ninety nine a month, and basic with ads is six ninety nine a month. Yeah. But they're saying that they're getting more money. They're getting like eight dollars worth of income from the ads. So that. In the US, people on basic with ads are making Netflix more money than the people buying the $15 standard plan. Wow, yeah, which is huge. And then worldwide, (laughs) they said they're making more than the $9.99 basic plan. So obviously, worldwide ad rates are lower than the US because you know they're they're US dominant or whatever. But still, so in the worldwide, if you buy the $6.99 basic with ads plan, their income from ads from people watching is higher than $9.99 buying basic normally which is why they've allowed the basic with ads plan to get more appealing i.e. high resolution right mm-hmm. and then in the u.s for 6.99 ads they're getting like eight dollars of ad revenue so they're exceeding the 15 standard plan which yeah, is crazy wow. like that's such a huge advertising uh generator like you can get people on a 6.99 plan but make as much money as if they're paying 15 a month like mm-hmm. That is huge. Like you can they, see, they what, deserve
0: they deserve 4K at this point. Yeah, they're <laughs> yeah, the money makers. Exactly. So,
1: yeah. And and surely, if that's if that's the kind of economics they're seeing, then soon enough they're going to have a premium with ads plan where you do get 4K, but for like 13
0: dollars. Oh, of a course,
1: month yeah, yeah. Like, it, why not? It's like a no brainer. And it also kind of hints why Apple has maybe been interested in getting into this space because there's been plenty of rumors that Apple is you know hiring ad teams, hiring people to make an ad. F- to make an ad supported version of Apple T V Plus. If Netflix is seeing, you know, eight dollars of ad revenue from the six ninety nine ad plan, Apple could offer TV+, plus for free, make more money than they do now, because when they're charging six ninety nine a month. Like, assuming they can match those rates, which is you know, an assumption and stuff. Obviously Netflix has a huge scale advantage that Apple doesn't have, et cetera, et cetera. But you get the gist, right? Like, there's a huge opportunity there for a cheap ad for a cheap T V plus plan or even like the same price T V Plus plan, but Apple makes a lot more money off of it. So that was a really eye opening to me. I I was I, I expecting them like for a $6.99 ad plan, you'd probably get you know three or four dollars of ads, basically matching the nine ninety nine basic plan. But to to be able to match the fifteen dollar plan too, that's like a huge a huge leap. So yeah, yeah, that is, that is really impressive from a from a business side.
0: Yeah, I, I do the ad plan for Disney Plus because it's like Disney Plus has a lot like a lot of it's for the kids more than me mm-hmm. most of the time. And so that, that one, like if I'm watching something and it has ads, I, I just don't mind, you know, I don't want to pay more than I need to for that. And I've done it with HBO as well with, and, and well, I guess now we're going to call it max. Um, I'm a big fan of having that be a way to lessen your subscription video service bill versus, you know, having, have having no ads and paying even more. So, yeah. Uh, Netflix also, they, they, they sunset their, um, Their red envelope service where they mail out DVDs, And there was some actual like, like real good reasons that people were upset about this. The people that were already like still subscribing to the DVD service, a lot of it is like international content would be more freely available on disc than on streaming. You know, different set of rights and everything. Um, So that's that's a that's a thing. It's going away. (laughs) Yeah, that ends Mm -hmm. in September, I think. Yeah, yeah. Did you know they had DVD.com? That was like what they were using. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with Quickster when yes yes yeah. that was the, that was a palaver yeah when reed hastings was like we're gonna split up the business in two which they did do um but we're like gonna a call the, yeah but we're gonna call the dvd business quickster you know and like they actually did it and then they reverted back to netflix um but eventually like, they like,
1: created their stock and stuff at the time it was like a huge disaster
0: well and all in on streaming 10 years ago isn't like all in on streaming today of course yeah exactly know? yeah but they reap um, the
1: benefits of the today from because they just started early
0: right exactly yeah uh, but yeah, I didn't know that until I was writing the story and I went to like the, the, the site for doing it because you could download your history of, um, you know, like what's your queue, what you've rented, etc. Like your, your ratings and everything um, as a PDF. And it's uh, DVD.com, a Netflix company. So, and now yeah, we all had me.
1: DVD by mail in the UK back in the day. But I think we got it with a company called Love Film, which was later acquired by Amazon. Okay. so, so we had, right. but this, And this is like 2010 pre-up and prior right like yeah we'd get dvds and it was actually pretty good like you just you know you pick a queue of stuff basically you know pretty new movies would be on there you get wait for it appears in the mail you watch the dvd you send it back it was like you know probably not great for the environment in terms of the amount of shipping going left and right for digital discs but it was it was a good service yeah but yeah. obviously it's way outdated in, the, in the modern era. yeah for like i mean
0: the netflix business taking over the space that Blockbuster and Movie Gallery, et cetera, had was that, you know, those retail stores had memberships and late fees. <laughs> and Like, if you kept your movie too long, you'd, you'd end up paying for the whole movie itself. And, and Netflix's whole thing was no, well, not really no memberships, you were a subscriber, but it wasn't like a, a locked-in rate. You know, you could go month-to-month month and, and join and quit, but it was also no late fees. Like, you could keep your DVDs for a long long time and they even said like anyone with the remaining dvds (laughs) can return them through october 28th so i guess if you find any in your home they they want them back Uh, but i used to do the the dvd you know plan and it was back when macbooks had disk drives and i would rip the dvd and so i'd have the file and then i would return the dvd and i'd watch it on my own time so not not as efficient as like other ways of acquiring media, I guess. But that was my method, and a lot of it was like there would be old political movies I'd want to find that were recommended, um and and you know you you wouldn't necessarily find them like online for that method. So uh yeah, by Netflix in that regard, it's it's weird to think about that being Netflix for so long. Like, it's hard, and it's all it was for for so so long.
1: Yeah, and they were still making like tens of millions in revenue on it like monthly or whatever. So. Not, yeah. not, a, not a tiny service, but small enough that it's finally time to uh, get rid of it.
0: Yep. All right. That is the Happy Hour podcast for this week. If you want to join the show, if you enjoy the show, uh, please follow or subscribe. You can listen to the ad-free version and Apple Podcasts podcast for $5 a month or $50 per year. We appreciate everyone who supports us that way. We appreciate everyone who supports our sponsors as well. If you have any feedback for this show, you can email Benjamin and I together at 9to5mac.com. No, that's not right. Happy hour at 9 to 5 com. Keeping it fresh. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at apollozac A-P-O-L-O-Z-A-C. Benjamin, you're on Twitter at mayo. We'll see everyone next week. Bye.
1: Bye-bye.